You're listening to the City Lights Podcast, where we are equipping you to exalt Jesus and extend the kingdom of heaven right where you are. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, we're continuing on in our series called One Faith. I'm just going to put a picture up here of my good friend Paul Garrigan as you go there. Um, uh, Paul, and uh, this looks like it's the youth group, but these are just the random poor young people that we encourage a lot. They're not even in the youth group to come and pick up um, some of the stuff at the Swamp Rabbit property. We own um, the old mill right, uh, if you guys are new here, right next to the Swamp Rabbit Cafe, and we just envision seeing that, all the acreage given to God's glory and hospitality for the sake of Greenville and the city. And so I got this text message. How many of you guys know that uh, sometimes um, the, the, the promises of God, uh, there's, there's a journey from the promise to the palace, amen? And so we get this text message, and all, there's all sorts of things at the property. You might find dead animals out there sometimes, or in, in this case, I think a landlord just evicted his tenant and just kicked all the, uh, the clothes um, into, into the yard. And so I just got this text message from text Penning. He's like, you might want to come out to this property. And so uh, I was like, oh man, this is just a mess. We got the picnic this week. There's all this stuff that's planned and all this stuff. And, and, and the Lord just provides, he provides for his promises. And so anyways, he provided, um, through our curly head friend right over here, Mr. Andre Greiner, uh, who actually called me that week and, uh, or actually I called him and was asking him about a truck. And he was like, you know, the craziest thing is I'm actually off work because my boss is just now having a baby. Uh, and, and he says, I got all this time, and so I'm just going to go out there with my truck, and we're just going to knock it out. And I wish I had the after photo. Why didn't I have the after photo? I should have brought it. But anyways, um, God is good, and, and I, just, I share all this because he really is stirring our faith in this generation for this time, specifically for what we're supposed to be doing, even small things like picking up a little piece of trash on uh, the front yard of a church. He's, he's doing Hebrews 11 continually. Our faith isn't about sitting around and thinking better. It's about moving. It's about moving with God and moving for God. It's about partnering with him and, and, and faith looking like taking steps. Uh, Romans says that um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the will of God, responding to what we hear. And so this series has been really encouraging to me, really stretching and stirring to me. We've, um, if you're just catching up with us, we've learned lots of things um, about what faith uh, would look like, that faith is not... Um, some lucky rabbit's foot. It's not just uh, betting all your money on red or Indiana Jones, the last crusade, like stepping across an invisible bridge and just being gutsy. You know, like faith is relational in the kingdom of heaven. Faith is about hearing a voice that loves you. Faith is about Peter walking out on water. It's not a transaction. It's a relational, like I want to be on the water, not because I want to do a magic show, because I want to be with you. Last week, Timothy did such an amazing job. He preached on Noah, and he talked about the reality that faith, actually, when it sees fear, faith heads towards fear as opposed to away from fear. That Noah, when we heard the word of God, all sorts of of fears and anxieties and trepidations came over this man who's just like us. He has worries just like us and problems just like us. And and at the end of the story, like, over drinks and has appetite issues just like us. But, but, but But God moved him and used him because even in his fear, his faith told him to to step with faith into fear instead of running away from it. We looked at Abel a few weeks ago about how how faith requires repentance, that our faith doesn't come to God as though um, we're equals with him, but we we, we come to God humble and contrite and broken and know that he's not just our creator and our kind of spirit that guides us towards our own personal blessing. No, we come to him broken as sinners that need his blood and need his salvation. And today we're going to look at faith, regarding tents, regarding the character of he, uh, in Hebrews of Abraham, 
who was called um, to, to usher in an era of blessing, an era that we still live in today, but, but to do that while living as a sojourner, as a wanderer, as a person that never actually set up house and home with brick and mortar, but lived in a tent for the duration of his time here. I'll read the verses that we'll study, and then we'll pray. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, a land that was prophesied to be full of milk and honey, a land that was supposed to be a place of refuge and protection where there was safety and there was health and there was shalom peace that would reside here on earth, not just after death, but during life. But he lived there as a foreigner in the land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Could you imagine? Heirs with him in the same promise. It'd be like if God said to you, hey, I'm gonna have Sam Walton give you a call and he's actually gonna let you own Walmart. But here's the trick. When you show up for the first day to own Walmart, you're just gonna be a bagger. Abraham lived on the corner of the promised land, but he was supposed to rule, but he lived on a tent as a subservient person, politically speaking, in a tent as a foreigner in the land that he was supposed to own one day. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder was God. Holy Spirit, as we just um, seek you in this time and open up your scripture, I ask that you would stir us, that you would allow us maybe just for a moment in our finite minds, like look at a bigger picture than just 2018, like to see the stars and the generations and the promises of God, to get a vision and a destiny and a calling that's bigger than just taxes and death. And so we just thank you for your vision. We thank you for your supernatural empowerment, encouragement in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a kid, I lived um, on the third floor of my house. All my friends wanted to come over to my house because it was like the best pad ever. We called it like the eagle's nest. Eagle's nest, one, two, one, two. It was like the third floor. My mom would like, uh, gave me like a ladder, a rope ladder that would get out of the top window in the case there was a fire because it was so high up. This building was probably built, this house was built in like the 1920s. And it wasn't just a room. I had the entire floor and it was so far away from, from my mom and from uh, roommates, if we would have roommates or whatever that my mom would have um, in, in the house. I, I lived on the third floor and like I was so far away from everything else and it was just my own little like Superman fortress of solitude. And it was awesome. And, um, and there was like an intercom system, I remember. And I had, it was like 1996, and I had like this TV with a VCR, and I would just sit up there whenever I want to just hang out and be by myself and just like watch Michael Jordan's Playground or like totally crossed out crisscross videos in, in my room. It was just like the place to be. It was the pad. It was the place to be. And it was a place where I could be safe. It was a place where... Um, I could be myself. It was, it was a place that I could kind of like be reflective or, or just be who I wanted to be where like the rules, you know, didn't need to apply in there and I could think how I wanted to think and be how I, how I wanted to be. And, and if, if there was ever a problem or if I ever had any like sadness or frustration, I could always just go there. It would be a, a safe place, a place where I could just be safe and not have to worry about, about anything. And, and if I'd ever get mad, I'd stomp up the steps. and be like, I'm going to my room, mom. You're not allowed in my room because I'm going there. And if you want to talk to me, you have to talk to me through the intercom because I'm in my room right now. I'm busy. You know. A room in middle school is a special thing. It's a sacred thing. It's a place where, like, you're safe. It's a place where you can be you. It's a place where you actually get to create the space. Like, you can put the posters on the wall where you want to put them and reorganize the room the way that you want to reorganize it. And we're, we're, from a very young age, we're kind of wired this way. It's not an American thing. It's an everywhere type of thing. Like, as young boys, as soon as we 
you know, get to be six or seven, we want to build the tree fort. Or we take the couch cushions off of the couch and we like stack them up to make little forts in them and like pretend to shoot little guns out of them. Or like Rose, you know, from a very young age would like build houses and make cupcakes or fake cupcakes and make little classrooms and that would be her classroom. That would be her room. That would be her space. It's, it's natural to want to build a space, to make a home somewhere, a place to dwell, a place to live. I bet you if, if I asked you, you could remember exactly the way that it smelled, the way that it looked, the, the posters, the, the house, the bed, the everything, the way that you built home. I bet you you could remember the dorm room when you got all that money, you remember that burned a hole in your pocket from your high school graduation and you were like, couldn't wait out to get out to Ikea and buy like a Schnufenschlargen chair. Like your very first Schnufenschlargen. Like I used to buy PlayStation, but I'm adult now. I'm a grown-up, I'm grown. And so I buy Schnufenschlargen chairs and Ikea meatballs. And you'd set it all up and spray the cologne everywhere, or do whatever it is that you did to make the place a home, make the house into a home. It's like part of us. It's like we're nesting. It's we want to build a castle, a kingdom, because that's where our, 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 dwelling, you know, our, our dwelling place is. Or maybe you remember, you, you, you've owned a home before, like um, in 2008 when there was a housing bubble crisis and we got a stimulus check in the mail of like 8,000 bucks to go and buy this buy this house, and we bought this house, and it wasn't much. It was the patio home, probably 1,500 square feet, but I mean, like, it was our home. Like, if you want to put paint on the wall, then dang on, put some purple paint on the wall. Like, you can do what you want. You can build a porch on the, or a patio off the back. Like, you know, I'm, I'm so proud as a man because I'm like, this is my kingdom, you know? This is where, like, the boss can't tell me what to do. I get to decide what goes on in, inside of this home, and so home is not just a place of safety, but it's a place of identity and authority, and when somebody comes over, you almost get nervous if it's not right or if it's messy or something's messed up because it reflects who you are in a way. It's a place where you get to show what, what your domain and authority kind of looks like. And when you have the pizza moving party and you pay everybody like two slices of pizza and the moving thing takes eight hours instead of four hours and everybody's all upset, like, we got to go, we got to go. And you're like videotaping and sweeping up the, the dust bunnies. It's like every room, that's, that's where I took Rose like home and like put her in the crib for the very first time. Like that's the room where like me and Kyra got in that huge fight and that's the room where I learned that the Lord like still speaks and that's the room like you, you have these memories. Why? Because it's not just a brick and mortar, it's a spiritual place like where we find our home. And home isn't just a residence because ultimately home is more of a, a, a state of mind. Like if you, you, can, you can be in your house and not feel home, you know? Have you ever felt like a stranger in your own home? Ever said that? You're in a fight with your spouse or in a fight with your family and there's no peace and it just doesn't feel like home. I mean, everything looks the same. The bed's in the same place, but it doesn't, doesn't feel like home. Home, home could be like a familiar TV show, like you're in a hotel room watching a, a television show and you can feel home because of that. Home, home can feel like a, home could be a classroom if you're a teacher. You provide home for kids. If you have an underprivileged student in your classroom who's not safe, they might find home in your classroom. That's their home. Home could be a football team. Home could be a bottle of alcohol. Home could be extra food. I mean, home is just the place where I can be me. Home is the place where I can belong. Home is the place where I have identity. Home is the place where I can express and reflect my identity in the place where I am. Abraham, in Hebrews chapter 11, 8, is unequivocally called not just to leave his work not just to change his faith. Abraham is called to leave his home. Genesis 11. Genesis 12, 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, his name Abraham 
was Abram before God gave him the H off of his name, Yahweh, changing his identity forever. Abram, before he met God, go from the country that your kindred in your father's house to the land that I will show you. Abram at that point had lived in Haran with his father Terah and his wife and his nephew Lot. And, and we assume that they're sheep herders or normal agriculturists. They lived on the land. They lived off of the land. And, and Abram has his first encounter with God, much like the encounter that Noah had with the Lord, or much like the encounter that Abel has with the Lord, speaks with God for the first time. And God, without introductions and without pretense and without explanation, uh, calls Abram, the first words out of his mouth are that he should leave his home. Everything he knows. Leave his family, leave his father's household, leave his name, leave his livelihood, leave his protection, leave his covenants, leave his alliances. He should pick up his bags, leave from home, and never look back. Hebrews eleven eight says, By faith Abraham obeyed, and when he was called to go out to a place where he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. He had no map. He had no guidelines. He had no reason. He was just, he heard the voice, and by faith it says that he left. Now faith now, family, excuse me, in that time was everything in terms of identity. I mean, if you've ever tried to read the Bible through in a year, you'll ultimately run into a few of these chapters, right, where it's like you probably just skip over them and get your by yourself a few days to catch up with your reading plan because it's just name after name after name that you can't pronounce in these places that you don't know where they are and this person, son of this person, son of this person, and this person, then this person, this person. And we've done this before, like in church, like, raise your hand. Actually, let's do it right now. Raise your hand if you know your father's name. I one time asked a kid in middle school, what's your father's name? He did not remember. He did not know what it was. I said, this is not going well so far. Okay, keep your hand raised if you know the first and last name of your grandfather. Okay, keep your hand raised if you know the first and last name of your great-grandfather. Okay, look around. This is usually the cutoff. We got one guy, three, four, here we go. Great, great, great grandfather. Oh, we got one. Matt Hunter knows the name. How many great, 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 greats do you know? Do you have it written down in your book? That's about it. I've tapped him out. So Matt Hunter is the, is the patriarch here of the family. The list of these, like they would know the names of their great, 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 great grandfather because the, because the name who you were in your family was, was who you were as a person, not just who you were in terms of DNA. Your name was where you were headed as an individual, not just, not just you know, a, a, something to put on, on the pillow at your, your grandma's house. Like your name, who you were in your family mattered. And so actually, if we were to try and understand what this would look like in our day and age, it would be more like not just leave your job or, or not just change churches or not just give you know, your morning, your Sunday morning to church. It would be changing everything about you. It would be Leave your political party. Leave, leave the way that you look at money. Change the way you eat. Change the way you think about women. Change the way you think about the poor. Change every, like it's everything. One of the things in the Bible that God describes himself, he says, I'm like an all-consuming fire. Have you ever seen a fire consume 10% of something? God is described as an unconsuming fire because he wants everything of us. He wants everything of Abraham. He doesn't just want 10% of Abraham's money, which Abraham tithes. He wants all of his money. He doesn't just want Sunday morning. He, like, he wants all 
of his mornings and his afternoons and his night. God, God is calling Abraham out of his identity. He wants to change his name. He eventually changes his name. He eventually circumcises Abraham, causes him to even physically be marked by the identity of being part of God's family. Hebrews 11.9 says, By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in foreign country. He lived in tents for his life. The father of nations, the one who's supposed to, to bring in this authority and rule, lives in a tent off the corner of the promised land. As did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. At first, I think we get really impressed by Abraham's faith. Like, man, you didn't, you didn't even know God. You had no background of him, no understanding of his, his character. You haven't been able to look at Mo, you know, Moses yet or Joseph yet or Jesus yet or read the Bible. You, you just hear a voice in the middle of the wilderness, and all of a sudden you just decide to make yourself completely vulnerable to all sorts of attackers and leave your livelihood and your relational ties. You just, you just leave and drop everything and just go. But I think that, I think that, doesn't, that, that mentality, that idea, that way of reading the story doesn't give credit to the powerful nature of not what God is saying, but, but who God is as he says it. There's a whisper here between the lines. There's a calling here that we can understand as God speaks to us, that as God is calling Abraham away from his home, he's actually calling Abraham home for the first time. There's a voice. There's a way that God speaks to us when we hear him in the wilderness and maybe we've heard about him in church and maybe we've heard about him from our family, but there's a difference between hearing about him and hearing from him. And there's a, there's a mystery and a wonder and a goodness with his voice that he's promised all people, not just people in church and religious people, all people can, can hear his voice because of the grace of the Holy Spirit that doesn't need facts and doesn't need reason and doesn't need argument to respond to. And that, I believe, is the voice that Abraham heard that day. He heard a voice that actually reminded him that even if he did live in his father's kingdom and in his father's household, he never really was home. And that many wander for, for all of their lives, living in great palaces and great households, but never find home. Because home isn't brick and mortar, because home isn't a, a residential place. Home isn't something you can put on Zillow.com. Home, home is where the Lord is. And so when, when God speaks to Abraham and Abraham readily responds, we give so much credit to Abraham, but we should give more credit to God. It was the voice that called to Abraham that he knew that he wasn't leaving his home in the first place. He was actually coming home for the first time where he could find peace and shalom and righteousness and pleasure with God. I remember when, uh, when I first became a believer, one of the first things I felt like the Lord spoke to me was that he was going to change my name. And I was like, boy, I hope it's Max. I hope it's Brad Pitt. You know, I, I, hope, I hope you change my name to like Romulus or something like that, something mighty. I never, I never, I mean, Oliver, I like it now. It doesn't sound good on the basketball court. Like, hey, Oliver, pass me the rock. Sounds like I need to be painting something, you know? And, uh, and so I'm just new, you know, I'm like that, I'm just like that toddler, I'm just kind of walking out and just trying to hear his voice. And, and he says, Oliver, 
He says, I'm going to make you a peacemaker. And so begin to process this and, and talk this over with Kyra. We were dating at the time. My name actually is, my Chinese name is Wong Lei On. It's uh, three, three syllables. The last name is the first, so Wong is your first name, or is your last name, but it comes first in the order of pronunciation, and, and it means king or yellow, depending on the, the derivation there. And, um, and the second part means that if you provide safety for others, if you can create a safe place for others, then you'll create peace. If you have safety for your family, there'll be peace. The reason why you don't have peace in your family is because there's no safety. People don't feel safe. So you're here to bring safety where there's no safety, shalom where there's chaos. You're, you're, you're called, I call you Oliver, and the kids think it means Oliver in company or whatever else, Ali, Ali, Oxenfree, and the other names that I would get. But no, I call you a different name. I call you peacemaker. He said, right now, what, where you're at is that, you know, my mom named me like the, the Oliver from the Olive Branch Petition, Olive meaning peace, and so she used the American kind of uh, alliteration there to name me Oliver and said, right now your name is Oliver and you're a peacemaker, but I'm gonna make you a, a peacekeeper, but I'm gonna make you a peacemaker. A peacekeeper is somebody that loves the attention of other people and wants to make sure that you're okay with everybody and wants to make sure you're approved of and wants to make sure that you know, you're on everybody's good side. He says, that time of your life, I, I want you to pack your bags, I want you to go and I want you to never look back. I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave those comfort places the ways that you would lean into relationships and the ways that you would try and please people and be cool or you know, dress a certain way or be funny. I want you to pack your bags and I want you to never look back. I want you to go to a new place. I want you to become Oliver, not the peacekeeper. I want you to be Oliver, the peacemaker. And everywhere you go, I want you to create safety for others so they can have peace. That's who you are. Right after he calls Abraham out, Second after, he says, I've called you out, not for no purpose. I've called you to be a blessing among the nations. I'm gonna bless you so you can bless other people. I'm not calling you away from home. I'm, coming, I'm calling you to come home for the very first time. This is what he's doing. He's a giver, not a taker. And he always gives more than he would ever take. His calling, even his asking is giving. He calls us with that still small voice. It echoes in us like Eden. He calls us home. When he uproots us, he's calling us to a place where he could be home for the very first time. Hebrews 11.10 says, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder was God himself. <laughs> Sometimes I think we get the picture of Abraham like he's a homeless man. Like he has this tent and like maybe a stick with like a bag on the end of it. He just wanders around and like doesn't really ever, you know, settle down anywhere. He's a, he's a migrant or a vagrant and, and he kind of goes on the train and has the, you know, cut off, gloves and doesn't really have like a root system. He doesn't actually stay anywhere. He doesn't actually have, you know, you know, family. Like we get this idea that the Abraham's a drifter. But the reality is, is that that's so far from the truth as the scripture tells us every day he lived, he knew where he was going. The issue is actually, it's not that he doesn't have a five-year plan. It's actually that when God told him to lay down and look at the stars, he was inciting and investing in Abraham, not a five-year plan, but a 4,000-year plan. He said, Abraham, you're thinking too small. Actually, when you go ahead and set up your, your, your house and build your castle and your kingdom and you have your rich, fancy parties and, and all your friends and you have everything that you ever wanted and, never, and you're never happy, you actually are thinking too small because people that live in tents are actually thinking bigger the, the way that you're supposed to live. When you live in a tent, when you live 
able to change and able to follow the Lord and able to, to live in a, in a place of, of vulnerability and mobility before the Lord, actually that's when you have clear vision for the very first time. Abraham didn't have a home. He lived in a tent, but he wasn't homeless. Abraham woke up every day with a person, with a purpose and a destiny. If you look at all the characters in the Bible, both in the Old and New Testament, they weren't, they weren't sojourning because they didn't know where they were. They were sojourning because they knew exactly where they were, actually more than the person with the mansion and the boat and the yacht, and they were headed exactly where they were every single day. The mistake I think that we can make is like, oh, I'm just supposed to be here for a short amount of time, and I'm just a, I'm a little old sojourner, and I'm not going to, I don't need to plan. I'm just going to kind of drift through life, and the Holy Spirit will just be the wind that just kind of blows me around. No, 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 no. The, like Abraham, it said, he carried the word of the Lord in his heart every day he was looking to the horizon of heaven. His feet were in Ur, his feet were in Canaan, his feet were, were with the Chaldeans, but his eyes were set on heaven. Every day it says he's always looking forward to the city of foundations. I don't have a five-year plan for you. I have a 4,000-year plan. The problem isn't that you, you have too big a vision for me, it's that it's too small. And that, that he actually, they said when he looked up at the stars from the naked eye, he could see about 1,200 stars. And obviously, you know, there's infinite amount of stars beyond that. He was looking up into heaven and didn't see it, but by faith, he saw you and me from that exact place 4,000 years ago. The older I get and the more time I spend in church and, 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 pre, and, and, and seeing and seeking the kingdom of heaven and thinking about the way that God works and the way that God is, actually, it's a lie to think that believing in heaven makes things... That, down here matter less. Oh, I'm just gonna go to heaven one day and I'm just waiting until that day, sweet by and by, and I'm just gonna make sure I stay safe. I'll just, me and my little small group, I'll just kind of hang out and we won't, I'm just gonna stay safe and be in my comfort zone and not be called out. That's the exact opposite of what it means to, to live in the tent that Abraham's talking about here. Actually, actually, believing in heaven, believing in the frontier, believing in, in the fact that God has called us to a, to a different place means that things matter more down here but it's just the different kinds of things. I've seen more and more as I've gotten older, as people in my life have passed away, people in my life, you know, like my parents' age are retiring, more and more you find that the things that I care about and worry about on a day-to-day -day basis matter so little in the scheme of things. I don't even need to get to heaven to realize that the things that I worry about right now are petty. As you get older, you realize the car that you have, it's not as great as you think that it is. And the home that you own is not as great as you think it is. And actually, even the relationships that you have, you realize they're sweet, but all relationships, even marriage, comes and goes. This is the passage from First or Second Corinthians that I want to read to us this morning. Uh, I think it's in Second Corinthians 5, if we have it. But it says, For we know that the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, I already talked to the Lord about this. I want to have a new body in, in heaven. I want to look like the rock. I got flat feet. I got weird, like chicken kind of no-calf ankles. My hair's getting kind of kind of thin. You know what I'm saying? Like I, 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 want a, I want a new body in heaven. And Abraham has a perspective. It's a different perspective than most of us have. Abram has this perspective. It's like, I'm not a body with a soul. I'm a soul with a body. This body is here for 50, 60, 70 years tops. And that's it. 
And there's a level of like, when we, when we try and make our home and inherit this earth and create dominion and create place and space for ourselves and set ourselves up, there's, there's, this, there's this elusive nature of earth that we actually lose heaven and we lose earth. But if we were to set our eyes and gaze on heaven, we actually gain heaven and inherit the earth as well. And so here's this list. I found this on the Business Insider. These are the types of things that uh, Business Insider did this survey. I think it was a nurse, and she interviewed dozens and dozens of people that were on their deathbed. And they asked them, what were your greatest regrets? What are your top five greatest regrets? This is what time will do for you. This is what perspective will do for you. This is what the question, like, will this matter in five minutes? Will this matter in five years? Like, this is the, the insight that we get from Abraham, from the cloud of witnesses, from people that have gone before us that have more age and history and perspective of life. This is what people count on their deathbed, in and outside of faith. Number one, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not for the life others expected of me. This dawning reality that people's opinions like are actually pretty unimportant. <laughs> faith or no faith, like this is what you come to realize. Wow. People will really put you down just because they don't feel good. And it actually has a lot less to do with who you are than you think. And if you were to actually be able to, instead of keeping your eyes down here on this earth and about your reputation and how many likes you have and who, what other so-and-so Mrs. or Mr. Jones thinks, like, if you were able to do that and get a glimpse of heaven for a second, you'd actually be a lot freer of a person than you'd ever think you could be. The power of a perspective change, the power of seeing things the way that they actually are, of not waiting until it's too late to realize who you are, where you are, and where you're headed. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. A lot of times the guys especially would say this, that they would just work for, what, 20, 30, 40 years and just build this kingdom, build this career, and turn around and realize their kids are grown up. And they don't have any relationship with their spouse anymore. Their friendship, their romance has, has dwindled out. And if they were to come back and speak, this, whoever these people are, 80, 90 years old, they come up and faith or no faith, they'll say, stop working so hard. Be with the people that, are, that God has put in your life because at the end of the day, the, the job and the promotion and the boss will all fade away, but what will remain, will remain is souls and people and relationship. This is what the perspective brings. When we cast our eyes on heaven, this is what begins to matter more. Why would you sacrifice your life and your health and your sleep to shave years off of your life so that you can make the boss smile? Like, this is the perspective that we get. Number three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. A lot of the earlier ones from number one, the fear of man, the fear that if I really say what I need to say, and as Timothy talked about, We'll sit silent for 20 years at the dinner table, not really saying what's on our heart, what's on our mind. And because of that, we live a shallow existence, a quiet existence where the fork and the knife scratch at the plate and we're in the same room, but we're not in the same room. <clears throat> and the kingdom of heaven is so near, but it's not received by us because we're building a house of brick and mortar and losing. That's the Jim Elliott quote, right? He is no fool that gives away what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. We lose our family on the altar. We lose our, we lose our peace. We lose our soul. We lose, why? Because to, to, to have a new phone, to have a new accolade, to have a new trophy, to have a new compliment, we lose eternity over this stuff because we have no heavenly perspective. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. 
You know, a wedding comes up, a funeral comes. We're always so busy. We're always too busy to go to the family reunion. People that are on their deathbed, they say, no, go to the family reunion. Like, keep in connection with your relationship. The relationships that you have, they're treasures. Don't be a fool and, and spend your time trying to learn all sorts of wise philosophies and theologies and deep things and thoughts of God. Spend time with your friends. Make sure to love your friends. This is what true religion looks like, is loving people, not being caught in your own little corner. This is what, this is what they say, I wish that I had let myself be happier. A lot of the studies showed that people were afraid of change, because they're afraid of change, they just kind of stood in, their, stood in their comfort. And the very thing, the destiny, the dream, the thing that they should have reached out for, the thing that they should have gone for was out of their grasp because they were afraid to take their first step. This is, this is my message today. When our eyes are on earth, we lose our place in both heaven and earth. But when our eyes are on heaven, we inherit both. The myth is that if you get heaven, you have to lose the earth, but the great secret and the great surprise of Abraham is actually when you, when you seek heaven, all other things are given to you and you inherit the earth combined. These are the rich, these are the wealthy, these are the places that the people that find their home here on earth is the people that don't make their home here. The people that live in their tent and look towards heaven. Life is a vapor, 60, 70, 80 years tops. And they're not vagrants, they're not wanderers, people of the kingdom of heaven that we've read about and will continue to read about. These people are more foundationed than any of the great Bill Gates and the great kingdom builders of our age and our era. These people are actually more firm-footed and have more home than all of the wealthiest people in the world combined. These people wake up with a purpose. These people know who they are. These people know what every second counts. These people are actually more accountable, more planned, have more vision, have more passion, have more intention, have more uh, clarity and wisdom than all these people that have five and 10-year business plans because they don't have a five and 10-year plan. They have an eternity plan. It says that eternity is hidden in the hearts of men. Eternity is hidden in the hearts of you and I. So today, after we get done with this message, I'm going to go to the picnic, and after that, I'm going on vacation. I'm going to Tybee Island in Georgia. It's going to be a fantastic time. And because I know where I'm going, I'm not worried about anything today. And the kids, they're not fighting nearly as much. They're actually helping each other and playing magic tricks in the front row here because they know where they're headed. Why are you worried about the TPS report? You're headed to heaven. Why are you wasting your time on your phone, you know, reading about more baseball statistics? You're sitting next to an eternal soul. Love them. Why do you not take a vacation with your sweet wife? Take a vacation. Build the kingdom of heaven. Invest in the things that matter. Don't be a fool and give away the, the sacred things for, for finite things and and stress and strain so you can build, lift 500 more pounds at CrossFit, but then lose your spiritual maturity and your spiritual strength. Why would you let your kids stress you out so you have no time to build a secret place with the Lord? You let yourself be so busy with bills, bills, that you have no time to let your soul be built by the kingdom of God, by, by the king himself, by Jesus. These are the types of decisions that we make when we take our eyes off heaven. We can't afford to spend one day, Abraham, every day spent his eyes flint on heaven, set flint, set straight towards heaven. He didn't have a wandering, sojourning thing that 
that didn't know where he's headed. He always knew where he's headed. And that's exactly why he was able to live in a tent and be more home than most of us. Let me pray for us as we respond. God, I just ask that you just continually make every day another journey home. I heard somebody say that every story, every movie, every book is about either leaving home or coming home. And I pray over this church that we are coming home. We thank you that, um, that, that Chris, even as we pray for him and as he, even as we read to him, he's taking steps towards you, God. And every step towards you is a step towards home. And whether or not we're, we're in the Swamp Rabbit property today or tomorrow, we are home right now. And I just thank you that you are calling us home. It's not a loss. You're not asking us because you're a masochist or because you want to have us give up something so we could prove how much we love you. We lay these things down as hedonists because we'd rather be home in you than home anywhere else. We're more home in a tent than we are in a mansion, and we thank you for it. We don't have to give anything up because you've given it all. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your church. We thank you for your family. And I thank you that these things are all mechanisms calling us home. We come to you now. We love what we have. We don't look forward to something so much that we don't experience home now. We just, we just accept that we are known and loved here in this place. We love you and rest in you. Thanks for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please let us know by leaving feedback on our iTunes podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc. Thanks for exalting Jesus with us.